This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com slash star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. An Odyssey station. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. This is a very special occasion for our team. We just celebrated the two-year anniversary of your radio doctor here on WPHT Talk Radio 1210. So this is the first show in season three and we've moved. This is Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, your radio doctor. And yes, I just said good evening because for two years I've said good morning at 10 o'clock each Sunday while you cooked a nice breakfast, sipped on your coffee. And I'm hoping that our faithful Sunday morning friends will continue to follow us to Saturday evenings as we welcome new listeners. Your radio doctor will air every Saturday evening at five o'clock and will continue to interview great guests and add new surprises to the show. So thanks again for joining us. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. We open season three with a discussion about screening for colorectal cancer from the renowned Dr. Douglas Rex, an international expert regarding prevention, early detection, and screening for colorectal cancer. He also has the nation's largest experience in removing large polyps and the world's largest experience in completing colonoscopy in patients with previously incomplete exams. His incredible achievements include honors bestowed on very few physicians. He's a distinguished professor emeritus, that is very special, at Indiana University School of Medicine. He's a chancellor's professor emeritus from the Indiana University, Purdue University in Indianapolis. He's the director of the endoscopy unit. He's a master of the American College of Gastroenterology and the American College of Physicians, both national societies extensive research with multiple awards for excellence in teaching, and he's been named a Master Endoscopist by our National Endoscopy Society. He's co-authored the guidelines or the rule book for colorectal cancer screening, and he's the author of the guidelines for performing quality colonoscopy, helping us as his colleagues to become more skilled at our craft. He's a man of distinction as a scholar and a gentleman, and I am truly honored to welcome Dr. Doug Rex, King of Colonoscopy and Colorectal Cancer Prevention, Doctor of Doctors. Hi, Marianne. Delighted to be with you. Thanks for oh having me. Oh my goodness, this is just I'm on. This is Hollywood for me. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, let's start with screening because I'm not sure that's a, a, a people hear that. I don't think it's really clear to uh, the everyday listener. 
Yeah, screening is a really important term to understand because uh, for colon cancer, as with some other cancers like breast cancer in women and cervical cancer, it means getting checked even though you feel perfectly fine. So screening is the process of, of looking for early cancers and in the colon, more importantly, looking for lesions that we call polyps that can turn into cancer because if we can remove those, we can actually prevent cancer from occurring. But screening means doing it when you feel absolutely fine. It starts with recognizing that you're at risk and then going to get checked even though you feel great. And why is screening for colorectal cancer in particular so important? Well, screening is perfect for diseases, first of all, that are really common, and secondly, that have a little bit of a slow growth rate, so you've got some time to intervene in the process. And it's particularly great for colorectal cancer because it starts off, in almost all cases, in a benign growth, uh, what we call a precancerous growth. We call it precancerous because it hasn't turned into cancer yet, but it's got the capability of doing that. And those are present typically in the colon for 10 to 20 years before they turn into cancer. And so we've got a long interval of time where if we go into the colon and check it and interrupt, intercept this process, we can actually prevent cancer from occurring. So colon cancer has all of the features that make it ideal for screening. It really is a gift to have this knowledge and have the uh, testing to find precancer and erase it and let the person have a, a fresh start. And I often do public speaking, I, you do a lot more than I, but when I talk to my listeners uh, on the radio or in a, in a group, I always say, I always start with rather than saying 150,000 new cases because the listeners say, well, there are you know, 7.4 billion people on the planet, I won't be one of those 150,000. But instead I say, polyp, as you mentioned, that's a small benign growth in the wall of the colon that we can go in, pinch it out, remove it easily for the most of the time. And if you presented that one in three people over age 50, one in two people over age 60 get polyps. And we know, as you said, not all polyps become cancer, but all or most cancers start as a polyp. So why not take advantage of this gift of uh, screening? Yes, absolutely. So how and that leads to the question, sorry, what is the initial age for screening and how is that determined? Well, it was recently lowered uh, the recommendation for all Americans from age 50 to age 45. Some societies had previously recommended for African Americans to begin at age 45, but recently the American Cancer Society and the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and now other societies are recommending that we start for everybody at age 45 and it changed because the incidence of colon cancer in young people has been increasing in recent decades and so um, it makes sense uh, that there's a, actually over 20 million people between 45 and 49 years old but the yield of screening we now know is about the same in that group as as those who are currently in the 50 to 54 year age group and the fraction of all cancers that are occurring under the age of 50 has increased in the last couple decades from about 7% up to 15%. It's actually doubled. And so to counter that, we've lowered the recommended screening age to 45. And we want to remind our listeners that no matter what your age, 
It's not normal to have persistent belly pain, unexplained weight loss, rectal bleeding. You can't just write it off as hemorrhoids because unless we take a look inside, we're not sure. We can't give you that answer either. So the caveat is screening as if you're feeling fine. And I remember as a fellow, we started actually training at about the same time. And we'll talk about that later. But um, when I was at Sloan Kettering, and I remember uh, Sid Winnemar, my chief, emphasizing primary prevention. That means we know that, say, cigarettes cause about 90% of lung cancer cases. We don't know the primary cause for colon cancer, so we study trends. So we take advantage of secondary prevention. We say, oh, there seems to be a rise in this age group or this uh, group of people, and that's how we hone in and, and become more specific. So COVID, that we could go on for days about that, but how has that impacted our efforts with cancer screenings in general and colorectal in specific? Well, it's of course set us uh, behind because a lot of um, elective procedures, particularly colonoscopy, were shut down uh, when the pandemic started for two to three months. They started to pick back up uh, around July of 2020, but during that period of time, we got way behind. And so there have been some estimates that that uh, quite a lot of cancers were not going to be caught early uh, because of that delay in screening. So uh, it, it COVID didn't help at all. Uh, there are many preventable illnesses, but just a lot of people actually that were that have been sick with a variety of illnesses that didn't go to the to the hospital because they were afraid of it uh, or. Mm -hmm. Or because you know they they're in in so, with some of the waves of the pandemic, our procedures have been shut down. Elective procedures in some parts of the country, even the most recent Omicron, um, you know, wave shut down procedures in some areas. Yes, here in Philadelphia, a few of the major medical centers uh, took a little break there and closed down elective procedures uh, with this, the the uh, recent spike in Omicron. I remember seeing a, a statistic from the American Cancer Society that just between March and June alone, you know, early in the lockdown, 2020, those three months, about 18,000 cases of colorectal cancer were missed. But then last week I read an article from the American Association of Cancer Research, and they said from January to June of 2020, 10 million cancer screenings missed, not just colorectal, but in general. So when you hear those staggering numbers, we really have to encourage people to, to to look at their calendars. Yep, got to get back into the uh, to the swing of it. So, and I think uh, across the country right now we're we're in full swing with regard to colonoscopy. And um, if you did put screenings off, uh, please please attend to that. Let's take a little break, and we'll be right back with your radio doctor and Dr. Doug Rex. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Hi, I'm Dr. Denny Carice, Chief Science Officer at Recovery Centers of America, and I'm here as your addiction expert. Today, I want to talk about addiction and how to evaluate if you might have a problem with drugs or alcohol. People often say to me, I think I might have a problem with drugs or alcohol, but I'm not sure. I hate to say this, but if you think you have a problem, you probably do have some type of problem. 
I mean, when's the last time you said to yourself, I think I might have a problem with broccoli, right? But if you want to see whether you meet the actual diagnostic criteria for a substance use disorder, which is the correct term for addiction, there's 11 symptoms we look at. Ready? First, are you using in larger amounts or for longer periods of time than you planned? Second, have you tried and been unsuccessful to cut down? Third, do you invest a lot of time obtaining, using, or recovering from use? And fourth, do you have cravings or really strong urges and desires to use? Number five, has your continued use led to difficulties at work, school, or home? And number six, have you continued to use despite frequent personal or social issues that your use has made worse? Seven, have you decreased or eliminated participation in social, job, or recreational activities? And eight, are you using in situations where it could be physically hazardous? Number nine, do you continue to use even when you know you have a medical or psychological problem that's caused or made worse by your use? And ten, do you need more drugs or alcohol to achieve the same effect? That's called tolerance. And finally, eleven, do you have withdrawal symptoms when you stop using the substance? And it's not just a yes or no answer. If you have two or three of those 11 symptoms, you meet criteria for a mild substance use disorder. Four or five symptoms qualifies you for a moderate substance use disorder. And six or more, and you meet criteria for a severe substance use disorder. If your loved one has a problem with alcohol or drugs, call 1-888-RECOVERY today or go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7. That number again is 1-888-RECOVERY. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. Are you in excruciating pain brought on by your son, daughter, or spouse suffering from addiction. You are not alone. If you call Recovery Centers of America today at 1-888-RECOVERY, your whole family can begin to recover. At Recovery Centers of America at Devon and Lighthouse, your loved one will be treated with care by expert addiction professionals, while family programming will give you support and healing so that you can recover as well. RCA accepts insurance, provides transportation, and offers intervention services. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. And welcome back to your radio doctor. Tonight we're talking about colorectal cancer screening with the nation's leading expert, Dr. Doug Rex. Doug, what should a patient be prepared to tell his or her doctor at a visit? Uh, either because they want to learn, they want to learn about screening, or if they have symptoms. Well, so with regard to to uh, symptoms, I would say that that evaluations of of patients with regard to colorectal cancer prevention, and when we get to colonoscopy, we sort of group the um, the approach into three different categories. One of them is screening that we've talked about, which means that you have no symptoms and you've never previously personally had polyps or cancer. Then you're a you're a screening um, candidate, and if you have symptoms. And the most important symptom is rectal bleeding, but if you have a change in your bowel habits or uh, abdominal pain, unexplained uh, weight loss, this kind of thing, you certainly want to report that. That we would consider a diagnostic situation. 
And then there also are a large group of people who have previously had polyps or cancer. We call those the that, that population, the surveillance population. And um, so for the diagnostic, those with symptoms and the surveillance group, they really should be checked by colonoscopy. For the screening group, there's the option of colonoscopy, but then also the stool tests, the stool test for blood, we call the FIT or fecal immunochemical test. And then the one that you see on TV, the test that is a combination of FIT and tests for stool DNA, that is um, also a screening test. Those tests, the stool-based test should really only be used for or asymptomatic uh, folks who are wanting to get checked. You're also going to want to report um, your, uh, you know, your family history, whether anybody in the family has had uh, cancer, colon cancer, or uh, polyps. And if you know any details about that, because a family history of, for example, large polyps is more important than just a family history of sort of routine, smaller uh, polyps, any diseases that you have, and sometimes cancers even in other organs are important for the doctor to evaluate what your risk is for colon cancer. And you bring up such an important point because I, I even, when I'm working with the fellows, I remind them, when you ask a patient about his or her family history, it's important to find out if anyone, especially first degree relatives that we define as a parent or a sibling or a child, but if a uh, which is not very likely, but possible. I think my youngest patient ever was 17 with colon cancer and no, no relatives. It was, I followed him in hospital for a few days and I, I lost, uh, didn't find, hear the final outcome of his genetic workup, but um, that the family history of colon, colorectal cancer and polyps make a difference in when that person who's being screened returns. So if a person has no polyps on the initial exam, they can rejoice and they think 10 years, but we have to say, if you have a family history, you might have to come back at the five-year mark. When would that make a difference? Well, the family history, the details of it are important. As you mentioned, a family history of first-degree relatives is more important than one of, of second-degree relatives, and then also the age at which the family member was diagnosed. So we sort of use a cutoff of age 60. So if your parent uh, as an example, had colon cancer at uh, age less than 60, we would view that as more important and you would need to have colonoscopy actually every five years. Or if you have more than one first degree relative, it's every five years. For the rest of the group, for example, if, you're, if your uh, parent had colon cancer at age 80 or above 60, then the current recommendation is to begin screening earlier, that is start at 40 rather than 45, and that may even, that may even drop a bit more in the future. But you can still get checked every, every 10 years like somebody who doesn't have a family history. So those kind of details, if you if you get the 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 accurate history about whether or not folks had cancer, what kind of polyps, it's always hard to get that that the details of yes. the polyps because usually just your folks or your your siblings will tell you, yeah, I've got some polyps, but they won't know know the details. But also the age at which they were diagnosed. Yes, because as you say, um, there's a timeline. When we find cancer, chances are it had been percolating for several years starting as a little polyp and it had time to grow. So uh, it depends where in the timeline we're finding the, the colon cancer if it, if it comes to full uh, fruition. Um, family history of gynecology cancers. We'll talk a little bit later about details in women as patients, but 
Um, the risk for gynecology cancers, at least ovarian and uterine, are related in some uh, patients to the risk of colorectal cancer. Um, social history, what do we look for that bumps the risk for colorectal cancer? Uh, the biggest factors are um, cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking uh, probably accounts for about 20% of, of all uh, colorectal cancers. There's some association with uh, alcohol use, and then there are s associations with obesity, um, diabetes, uh, what we call metabolic syndrome, which is, is related to obesity and diabetes and um, physical inactivity. All of those have some association. And so I, I think the, the most important thing is to keep in mind though that the most, the single biggest risk factor for colon cancer is age. The risk goes up with age. Um, it's more strongly associated with increasing age than anything else. So if you hit the age of 45, even if you don't have any of these uh, risk factors, you're, you're, you have a healthy lifestyle, you have a normal weight, you're, you're a non-smoker, um, you could still have polyps and you should still get, get checked. So uh, it's, it's good to know about these risk factors, but, but don't think to yourself, oh gosh, I don't have any of those things, I'm, I must be okay. That, that's, a, that's a dangerous thought. Exactly, and that's why I, I sort of put you through that exercise because I want people to hear that, that you don't get a pass because you don't smoke and I live a healthy lifestyle and so many of my patients um, have come in with symptoms in their 60s or 70s, not necessarily with cancer, but fairly large polyps because they thought, oh, I'm good. Um, and then we talk about uh, personal history of inflammatory bowel disease. That's a small segment of the people we see, but um, ulcerative colitis, depending how extensive, might increase the risk. Do we want to talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, those are those are special risk factors, and um, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, when it affects the colon for a, a long period, at least uh, seven to eight years, and uh, then there is an increased risk. And so obviously these people are usually being followed by a gastroenterologist and uh, hopefully you're talking to that gastroenterologist about that risk because after that uh, period of time, it, it depends on the extent of the disease and some, and some other factors, but you'll need to start undergoing um, interval colonoscopies to check for precancerous lesions. Mm -hmm. What would you say are the more common reasons why people delay and or avoid screening? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the most common uh, reason of all is that people don't view themselves at risk if they um, if they don't have any issues with their bowels. You sort of, people sort of think, okay, I, I use the bathroom fine. Uh, I look in the toilet, I don't see any blood. My bowels, my bowel movements look normal. I feel normal. And so you sort of end up concluding that you're not at risk. And that uh, can be a very serious error because these polyps, polyps do not cause symptoms. And even many early cancers in the colon do not cause symptoms. So if people wait until they have symptoms, then they're, on average, their disease is much further along and their chance of survival is greatly decreased. 
people that have cancers caught when they have no symptoms, 80% of them are at an early stage. But the biggest advantage of screening is this ability to remove polyps. So you're never even going to get cancer in the first place. So don't tell yourself, oh, I feel pretty, I feel pretty good, so I'm not at risk. And then the other thing is, I think... You know, in America, a lot of people are just so busy, you know, and, yes. and uh, you know, they don't want to take the time off. They may have heard that for colonoscopy, there's, you know, there's a bowel prep. Um, some people have have concerns about the the procedure. They may be embarrassed about uh, the procedure. But, you know, the truth is that, um, you know, unless you have an ostomy, we all use the, the bathroom. We all uh, sit on the toilet. We all poop. And, you know, we might as well, you know, just uh, acknowledge that this is part of life, part of being part of being human. And, um, you know, don't be don't be in denial about risk and and don't put it off because you're busy. Find some time to do the things that are important to your health. No, you're so right about that because we're trying so hard to uh, overcome barriers to screening, like people that are, are you know, are uninsured or uh, uh, or underinsured, and trying to get help with people that are lower in socioeconomic that need help with payment for transportation and helping get them to the table. But it's busy people who get to work at seven and get home at seven or eight at night that that can't find time. We're going to talk about women in specific when we come back with Dr. Doug Rex from Indiana University. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital, presenting you with the Nutrition Tip of the Week. Since February is Heart Prevention Month, let's talk about diet to help prevent heart disease. There's been many studies that shows eating a heart-healthy diet can prevent your risk of dying from cardiovascular disease and even preventing it. One of the big tips today I'm going to talk about is how to increase a plant-based diet. Plant-based diet focuses on eating fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, whole grains, and beans. You don't have to be a vegetarian or vegan. You just simply need to add more of these plant-based foods to each meal. Studies have shown that this plant-based diet can also aid in weight loss, which will also reduce your risk of developing heart disease. What may be some of those foods? How about some of the different veggie-based and bean-based pastas? There's so many of them out there. Instead of white pasta, you can choose pastas that are made from lentils, chickpeas, kales, edamame. There's so many different products. So for example, a chickpea pasta can have up to 12 grams of fiber, as opposed to regular pasta, which may only have four grams of fiber, which is extremely filling and will count as vegetables and protein as well. There's many other kind of plant-based products that you could try. They make dry roasted edamame and dry roasted chickpeas, which are high in fiber and high in protein and a really heart healthy snack and will make you feel full for hours. You could also try different kinds of carbohydrates, such as breads, which are high in fiber that are made from chickpea, whole grains, even pea protein. Now they're starting to add to many of our different products that are considered a a protein source, an alternative protein source to meat. And it comes in different forms as as, as a veggie burger or comes in in a veggie crumble as well. And most importantly, 
let's try to add some fruits and vegetables to your regular diet during the day, such as an apple or some grapes, and you can add co- combine them with nuts. Or if you want to add a vegetable to dinner, a great vegetable would be something like cauliflower rice, which gives a rice consistency, but actually is a vegetable and will give you fiber and make you feel satisfied. This is Emily Rubin, dietitian from Jefferson, giving you the nutrition tip of the week. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. This is your radio doctor, Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer. Get screened. When you have orthopedic issues, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes orthopedics. You need an exceptionally specialized Rothman Orthopedics physician. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. That's RothmanOrtho.com. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. And welcome back to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, learning all good things from Dr. Doug Rex about screening, prevention, early detection of colorectal cancer. Doug, we talked about women's risks in particular. The Pink Campaign started in about 1982 with the Pink Ribbons. They've been wonderful in encouraging women to get mammography. Indirectly though, I think many women think mammogram and done because we have to reinforce the idea that pretty much it's not a man's disease. I think a lot of women think, I got my mammogram, saw my gynecologist, I feel fine from the waist down, I'm good to go. More people die when we combine men and women, more people die of colorectal cancer than breast cancer. And I think there are some physicians that don't even realize that. So I try to drive that message home and and try to get people to share that. Yeah, I I hear the same thing often, Marianne, that there's an impression that colorectal cancer is uh, largely a male disease. And actually, there are slightly more women uh, diagnosed with colorectal cancer every year. And that's partly because women live longer than men and they get a little bit behind at equal ages, but they, but they catch up. And we actually recommend that that screening begin at age 45 in both 
men and women. So I, it's a really important point for women uh, to hear that, yes, you need to get checked too. Well, because of those things we mentioned, historically there, there was a lag between men and women being uh, screened. Women go to the doctor more often, but, but we're being scoped, or I should say tested for colon cancer less often. But what women also need to hear is that relationship between colorectal and GYN cancers. And if a woman has uterine cancer under age 50 or all the way, if they have ovarian all the way to age 65, it increases their risk of colorectal. And the reverse, colorectal under age 40 bumps the risk for uterine and ovarian. So we try to work with the uh, gynecologists to uh, cross-pollinate and remind our patients to get uh, screened for both. So we, you, Dr. Doug Rex, are recognized and honored as a real pioneer in colonoscopy. And I'd love for you to talk about the two studies that are especially notable um, and where you've really moved the needle. Well, yes, uh, so I absolutely have had a long history in investigation in colonoscopy and we sort of got the first major screening colonoscopy study going um, in the mid to late 1980s when colonoscopy was considered still to be uh, a very big deal and we invited um, physicians and dentists and their spouses in Indiana to come down on Saturday mornings and my partner and I perform colonoscopy and I think the key things that, that that showed were that you could do colonoscopy in asymptomatic people safely uh, there weren't any any significant complications but also that the yield of doing it was was uh, quite substantial for finding precancerous polyps so that was important and then um, a lot of the work that I've done has been focused on trying to improve the quality of colonoscopy it turns out that that um, colonoscopy is one of those procedures where some people do it uh, better than others they find more than others and we uh, did a study in the in the 1990s where we colonoscoped uh, uh, about 185 people twice in the same day. It's something that's been done now a number of times and the results have been reproduced, but it showed that colonoscopy does miss lesions and that there's variability between doctors. And this has led to a huge um, uh, interest in and actually has made a lot of progress in improving the quality of, of colonoscopy. And we now ask doctors across the board to measure what we call the adenoma detection rate, which is a which is a signal of how effectively you're uh, examining the colon. And ideally, you should be able to ask a prospective uh, colonoscopist for their adenoma detection rate. And you you know you'd like to hear that it's that it's well above the recommended thresholds, even above forty uh, percent uh, or more of the time that they're finding ad, an adenoma, a particular type of of precancerous polyps. So, so yes, screening colonoscopy and um, making sure that we're doing everything to to make the performance of colonoscopy good across the board have been uh, big interest for me. Well, I remember when when I started as a fellow, hearing that New York was probably the hub, wouldn't you say, of early. Uh, endoscopy when it first came from Japan and I and you were very fortunate to write the textbook on quality colonoscopy for us um, with Dr. Jerry Way from Mount Sinai and I remember um, when Dr. Shinya would lecture us but that I remember hearing that the very first colonoscopy 
how many people were in the operating room, um, surgeons, the gastroenterologists, anesthesia, everybody hoping and praying that this scope, uh, 120 centimeters was being passed into a human being and it's kind of dark in there. And even though we had fiber optics uh, in its infancy, it took four hours and 26 minutes or thereabouts to complete that first procedure. And <laughs> so naturally people were a little bit leery, but my goodness, exponential progress since even our days as fellows. And um, it's remarkable how safe it is. And when I have patients who hesitate, I say, guess what? I would rather drink the bowel prep. It's not fun, but once you go through it and you have your test and you either get an, uh, an answer that you're clear or you had small lesions and they're gone, it's sure better than having surgery or chemotherapy or radiation. And that's probably an extreme, but um, your your mind will be at rest as well because it is so common. Yeah, the, you you know, you bring up some some great points. Shinya, of course, uh, you know, was the developer of snare polypectomy that we still use today and Jerry Way, um, who is still with us, he's still alive just recently uh, retired and approaching his 90th birthday um, and uh, is and was considered for many years to be the greatest teacher of colonoscopy. So New York has uh, and uh, really the whole um, Northeast corridor there has a has a great history in colonoscopy. You know, there's a reason why colonoscopy is the only test that's recommended at 10-year intervals, and that's because it's just the best. Nothing else uh, comes close to colonoscopy for its ability to detect polyps. It's quite amazing to be able to go into an organ and not change the structure or the function of the organ at all. And at the end of the test, you, uh, in many cases, have really dramatically reduced a patient's risk of developing uh, colon cancer. So it's an incredibly powerful test and one of the most commonly performed medical procedures in the country. And the preparation, again, it's not fun, um, but that has evolved quite a bit. When I was a fellow, we were fellows, it was two and a half days of unpleasant laxatives, enemas, uh, fat, not fasting, but low residue diet or clear liquids for two days. And then we thought we were so advanced when we went to the four liter, uh, so that's a little bit bigger than a gallon, uh, and we would instruct patients to drink it within two hours, remember that? So we thought it was a gift to go to the split prep. Let's talk about that a little bit. Sure, the, so the, the bowel preparation is still considered uh, the, the most challenging part of the procedure. That used to be that people would be afraid of the procedure itself and then afterwards they would say, oh, the worst part of it was the, the bowel prep, the procedure wasn't too bad. Now the word's gotten out to everybody and people who've never even had a colonoscopy say that that part that they're most concerned about um, is the, the bowel prep. So the bowel prep, we now have what we call some low volume preps where you don't have to drink as much. There's a, there are a couple of tablet uh, preparations that are available now. You still have to drink a lot of fluid to stay hydrated, but you don't have to drink as much fluid that, that has a uh, somewhat unpleasant taste, at least for, for some people. And, uh, and then split prep, which means that you, to get a really great preparation for colonoscopy, which you want to have because you want to, you know, if you get a normal exam or just minor polyps, you could be told to come back in 10 years, but the doctor may not feel comfortable telling you if you don't get a, a great prep. So you have to do your part to get a great prep. And part of that is to take at least half of the prep on the day of the exam 
So if you have an early morning appointment at seven or eight in the morning, you may have to get up uh, in the middle of the night. And this is very important because the, the, the initial parts of the prep will clean a lot of the stool out, but then after the stool's been cleaned out, then the colon and the small intestine make a lot of mucus and that mucus can build up, especially over in the, the right side of the colon and there are a lot of very flat lesions over there so the doctor needs that stuff to be cleaned out and that second dose of the prep that you take on the day of the procedure is very important for for getting a really excellent prep we want an excellent prep every time if we can get it so it's like a power wash on the siding of your house yeah the first the first spray gets the big uh, obvious dirt off and then you want to do that rinse just so it's crystal a crystal clear glass out of the dishwasher because as you say right-sided lesions or, or polyps at the top of your colon are more likely to be flat and camouflaged and there are categories of people that are more likely to have them women african-americans smokers so but it's important that everybody do the best they can with the prep so surveillance is a word that came up earlier if a person has already had polyps or colon cancer their advice for return is different than somebody who has not had polyps in the past. Right. So if you're in that surveillance population uh, where you've had precancerous polyps or you've had cancer, then we recommend that you um, are checked by, by colonoscopy. I think people are starting to think that they can use the fecal test. But if you, if you listen to the, the commercials, the company very responsibly says that, you know, this test is not for people who have had previous uh, polyps or cancer. And we do have a set of uh, recommendations and these are updated every few years and, and they're based on the best possible evidence we have for what your risk is depending on the number of precancerous polyps that were found, the size of those polyps, and then also what the pathologist says about them when they look under the microscope. And this is all put together into basically a little roster of, of intervals. So the, in general, what's happened over the last 20 or 30 years is these recommended intervals have tended to expand because we realize that people with very small polyps are not at very much risk. There is a group that have a lot of polyps or they have, they have some big polyps or polyps that the pathologist says, uh, wow, that one is really close to turning into cancer that need checkups you know, within sometimes uh, three years, occasionally even less than that. Others need an exam at five years or seven years. And then some people even with very small precancerous polyps now can be checked at 10 years. So your doctor will know that formula based on, on how many lesions they've removed and, and the other factors I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Like family history, if you have no polyps, but you have a family history, as you mentioned, a first degree relative under 60. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back in our final segment with Dr. Doug Rex. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars, Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. This is your radio doctor, Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. 
Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer. Get screened. When you have joint pain, you need a physician who eats, sleeps, and breathes joints. Someone so focused on their specialty, they've written the book on it. Literally. You need an exceptionally specialized physician from Rothman Orthopedics. They not only specialize in orthopedics, each Rothman physician only focuses on one area of the body, which means you can have confidence that you can get past the pain and be what you were. Schedule conveniently online at RothmanOrtho.com. Official orthopedic partner of the Eagles, Phillies and Sixers. And in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, we have a new segment called Your Weekly Prescription, Your Homework. And Dr. Doug Rex, what would you say are the take-home messages for our listeners today? Well, I'd say if you'd like to learn more, there are a lot of, of great uh, websites that you can go to just by Googling. I, I like the American Society for Gastrointestinal Endoscopy website. I'm currently the, the president of the National Endoscopy Organization, and we've got a great uh, website that has a lot of, of uh, information on it. In terms of a, of a message to your listeners, Marianne, I would say that the most important thing is don't kid yourself about uh, whether you're at risk. If you're age 45 or older, you are at risk. And make a make a plan, um, you know. And if you've already been screened, talk to your loved ones, your spouse, your family members mm. who could be at risk because um, you know they may listen to you better than they than uh, than they do to others, and encourage them to get checked. And if you've had polyps, if you've if you've had uh, lesions found in your colon, share that with your your family members. Uh, but most importantly, um, you know, just even though you feel well, you still are appropriate candidate for screening. And you make so many good points, Doug. Uh, it's really a service if one or two of the family members can ask grandparents, parents and get that family history and write it down for everyone because it can save your life. And we look for these patterns of first and second degree relatives, ovarian and uterine cancer in relation to colorectal. Um, and you mentioned the American Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, that's A-S-G-E, is, uh, so we can just Google A-S-G-E and they have great information for patients to read. Um, and you know, I was uh, talking to you earlier about the Blue Lights campaign with the help of the American College of Gastroenterology, uh, we have been trying to get the word out. In Philadelphia, we do over 30 buildings in blue, Boathouse Row, Ben Franklin Bridge, all this week uh, from May 2nd to May 4th, March, I should say. <laughs> the, the city was in blue and St. Joe's University, lots of buildings. We want to wrap the city in blue and get that urgent message out. And That's our, so great and yeah, so much fun. It's so much fun. And our big ta-da this year, I got every state capital in blue because I contacted the national lieutenant governors. Dr. Doug Rex, wow. what a pleasure to have you. We learned so much, but you're just fun to talk to. And I thank you. And I admire you so much. And thank you for being such a great teacher for us um, as your colleagues. Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me, Marianne. My pleasure. Thank you once again for joining us this evening and making our new show a big success. 
If you're new to the show, I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, your radio doctor. A very special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross, our major supporter from the start. We're also grateful for the support from Recovery Centers of America and the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. As I mentioned, this is the first show in season three, and we're very grateful to celebrate another year with WPHT. For the first two years, the show aired at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Now we have the chance to make new friends here on Saturday evenings at 5 o'clock. So here's a little background about the show and about me. Some years ago, after giving a lecture at a women's seminar at my alma mater, St. Joseph's University, I was invited to be the medical editor for Women to Watch, a show here on WPHT each Sunday evening with host Sue Rocco. I've enjoyed that for four years Then two years ago came the opportunity to host my own show, which has been a tremendous experience. I'm a graduate of Jefferson Medical College. Following training at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City, I returned to Philadelphia to practice gastroenterology. Yes, I'm a little less popular than a dentist because I perform colonoscopy exams. (laughs) My patients call me GI Josephine. During 30 years of practice, I've also taught medical students, residents, and fellows but the most important role as teacher has been with patients, one at a time. When given the chance to be a radio host, I realized I could have an impact on thousands of patients. They say what you don't know can't hurt you. I say what you don't know can hurt you, and you don't know what you don't know. So my goal is to be the voice of the lay community, asking questions of leading experts in various medical fields from top academic centers around the country, doctors, researchers, sometimes a patient or a member of a nonprofit. Then you'll have a better understanding of medical issues and you can make better decisions for yourself and your loved ones. When COVID came to town, the anxiety and fear were so intense, I decided to end each show on a positive note with the story of a real champion, someone who has faced adversity with grace or who has done great service in the community. These are ordinary people who do extraordinary deeds. We thank the Rothman Orthopedic Institute for sponsoring this special segment, and we receive wonderful feedback about these stories of inspiration. Now in season three, we have new features. Each week you'll hear from your addiction expert, Dr. Denny Carice from the, the Chief Science Officer from Recovery Centers of America. In addition, your nutrition tip will come from Emily Rubin, registered dietitian from Jefferson University Hospital. And finally, your weekly prescription will offer a summary of the topic and websites you can visit to learn more. Join us each Saturday evening at 5 o'clock here on WPHT. And remember, you can hear any of our shows beginning with the very first one on February 2 of 2020 on our website, yourradiodoctor.com. If you have questions for a guest or if you'd like to submit the story of a real champion, send your message to info at yourradiodoctor.com. It's March, Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. As director of the Blue Lights Campaign, each year I coordinate over 30 buildings in the greater Philly region to light the sky in blue. Pico, One Liberty, Two Liberty Place, BNY Mellon, Franklin Institute, the Ben Franklin Bridge, Boathouse Row, Convention Center, FMC and Sierra, Park Town Place Apartments, and many more. And this year, every state capital is also invited to shine in blue during March. Here's the big message. Colorectal cancer is common, often deadly, but preventable. 
In fact, the screening age has been lowered from age 50 to 45 for everyone because of increasing numbers of cases in younger patients. So join the Blue Lights campaign. Hang a strand of blue lights on your home or business, at the check-in desk in your office, a blue light bulb on your porch. Join the battle to conquer colorectal cancer. Then send a photo of your lights or a picture of you in blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. A special way for women to fight colorectal cancer? Come to Jefferson for Paint Plus, the program that offers a mammogram, a gynecology exam, and a consult to discuss colorectal cancer screening, all in one visit. That's three cancer screenings in one visit. Schedule a visit at Pink Plus by calling 1-800-JEFF-NOW. Ask about Pink Plus at 1-800-JEFF-NOW. The American Red Cross is encouraging everyone to donate blood. There is a serious national shortage. Visit their website, redcross.org. We've shared a lot of information with you tonight. Here's a quick summary of the points we discussed about colorectal cancer. Number one, a polyp is a small growth in the lining of the colon. With colonoscopy, we can remove these precancerous polyps before they turn to cancer. It's brilliant. Number two, not all polyps turn to cancer, but most cancers start as a polyp. So no polyp is your friend, and our motto is no polyp left behind. Number three, polyps are common. One in three people over 50 and one in two people over 60 get polyps. Most often, you don't know you have them until we look. Number four, the new screening age is 45 for everyone. Why? Because we're seeing a notable rise in cases in younger people, under age 50, even under age 40. And if you have a family history of colorectal cancer, you may need to start at a younger age and have repeat colonoscopy exams more often. Number five, I mentioned family history. Know your family history. What relatives may have had colorectal cancer or colon polyps and at what age? That's family history of colorectal cancer and polyps. Polyps count too. It may mean that you have to start your screening at a younger age and return more often than every 10 years. Six, you can't choose your genes, but there are risk factors you can control. Smoking increases your risk. In fact, women who smoke are more likely to die from colorectal cancer than men who smoke. Alcohol increases risk if you drink to excess. That's why the American Cancer Society recommends that the maximum amount of alcohol that we drink should be no more than two servings per day for men and one serving per day for women because excess alcohol increases the risk for multiple cancers. A serving is considered to be 12 ounces of beer, five ounces of wine, or 1.5 ounces of hard liquor. Smoking and excess intake of alcohol can increase your risk for multiple cancers, including colorectal cancer. And we know that obesity and lack of physical exercise also increase the risks. If you'd like to hear the entire show again, visit our website, yourradiodoctor.com, or use the Odyssey app. To read more about colorectal cancer, here are two great websites. Our special guest this evening was Dr. Doug Rex, a highly respected international expert on colorectal cancer screening and prevention. He is the president of the American Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy, the ASGE. The American Society of Gastrointestinal Endoscopy website is asge.org, asge.org. 
The American Cancer Society also has a very good website, easy to use with great information. You can find it at cancer.org. That's cancer.org. We'll post these resources on our website. Thank you once again for sharing your time and helping us celebrate our new show. This is Dr. Marianne Ritchie inviting you to join us every Saturday evening at 5 o'clock for Your Radio Doctor because we're here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit YourRadioDoctor.com. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Hi, I'm Lisa Thomas-Laurie. If you're on Medicare, I've got great news. Keystone 65 HMO plans from Independence Blue Cross have earned five stars. That's Medicare's highest rating for 2022. Some of these Medicare Advantage plans have no monthly premiums, no deductibles, and no co-pays for primary care visits and some prescription drugs. And all plans include dental, vision, and hearing benefits with no co-pays for routine exams. Medicare's highest rating, Philly's most popular plan. Don't wait. Visit ibxmedicare.com star. Every year, Medicare evaluates plans based on a five-star rating system. Keystone 65 offers HMO plans with a Medicare contract. Enrollment in Keystone 65 Medicare Advantage plans depends on contract renewal. This is a paid endorsement. This is your radio doctor, Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer. Get screened.